Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. Are we all this fine Sunday morning? Very good. Very good. Well, we are continuing the present series. We are about halfway through it, maybe? I don't know. Feels like we're still at the beginning. Still learning something new every day. Well, before I kind of get into that, I want to share uh, just an experience that Laura and I had this week. Uh, Laura and I, on on Thursday night, we travelled all the way to... uh, Mary Glasgow, and we went and saw Take That. We saw Take That live. It was, it was extraordinary. Now, I'm not like a Take That fan. I, mean, I remember them as uh, growing up in the 90s, and, and I, I didn't like, enjoy it or anything like that, but, but their gig was amazing. Like, it really was. It was, it was three times. It was like a stage that went up and down, and there were people hanging from places. It was, it was an event, and it was really incredible. I, I'd never really seen anything like it before, uh, really pushing the kind of the boundaries of what a, of what a gig can be. It was, it was circular, so there's people like on every side. It was, uh, it was really amazing. Uh, what was also amazing, uh, and, and to be honest, far more sort of uh, interesting for me, was that their support band was All Saints, uh, which, you know... <laughs> Also memories from the 90s, and I think they were there to sort of warm up the crowd, but I was cooked by the end of their set. I mean, it was, it was tremendous. It was a, it was a great time, and, and we were like right at the front. Well, we were almost at the front. There was one person standing in front of me, and I had the misfortune of that one person being the sort of the frustrated backing dancer who had sort of been lost along the way, the, the fifth member of All Saints who'd been all long lost, forgotten, and it was... Man alive, it's like sort of trying to go like that to see everything because she was doing all that and uh, it was mad. It was, it was really something, but I thought it was pretty good, yeah. Only gets better, only gets better. Uh, we, were, uh, we enjoyed and highlight, the absolute highlight, look at Laura right now, highlight of the gig. Now, I make a confession here. When I was in my formative years, uh, I was an All Saints fan, and I, and I had particular adoration for uh, a young Miss Melanie Platt. And, uh, <laughs> and this is no word of a lie. I was her biggest fan. There was no word of a lie. At the end of the gig, she walks over to where we are on the stage. She looks right at me, <laughs> makes a heart sign, and points straight at me. <laughs> points straight at me. Laura? Laura, did that happen? Did that happen? Did that happen? Come on. I'm her biggest fan. Of course she knows that. That's sour grapes right there. Sour grapes. It was outstanding moment. But what, I, what, I could, what kind of amazed me was that so much of the gig, I looked around and, and so many people were taking in this pretty awesome event through the sort of prism of their mobile phone. It's like everybody around me was either texting, I'm having an amazing time, send. (laughs) You know, they were taking photographs instead of like literally looking at the thing that they were looking at through their screen. The the woman in front of me, who's getting a lot of uh, talk about in this message, uh, she was Facebook live streaming half of it. (laughs) Like live streaming. And, And there were points where she was not just 
live streaming the event. She was live streaming her reaction to the event. So there was a few times where she was like, just like, oh, oh. And, and over her shoulder was this guy who had suddenly started singing with his eyes closed and uh, then opened his eyes and moved to one side because he realized he'd just been sort of exposed to the world. <laughs> But that's the thing, right? I mean, as you said, I'm, I wasn't like a fan growing up, but, but this sort of event was, it was, uh, it was quite intoxicating. Like, there was so much uh, sort of excitement in it. It was, uh, it was this sort of, everybody sort of, this heightened sense of sort of uh, excitement. Uh, I, at the beginning of it, I, I sort of expected, you know, I'm here, I'm here for Laura. I'm here to uh, enjoy it. This is her thing. I'll, I'll stand there. I'll smile. I'll, I'll tap my foot, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> But by the end of it, by the end of it, man, I was, I was wrapped up in it just as much as everyone else. I was singing all the words. I was doing all the dances. Never forget where you're coming from. Never pretend that it's all real. Someday this will all be someone else's dream. <laughs> Oh, behave yourselves, baby. That was a, a scandalous abuse of power there. Scandalous. More. More, more. That's like all I know. I had to Google the lyrics as well. I sang along, but I didn't know any of the words. It's quite funny. But it was, it was funny. We, heard, we got there really early, which is why we were standing so close to the front. And we, we heard all these other people, these like mega fans. And they were, they, they, I think... Take that were there for like four nights, and they were talking about like they were going to go to every single night, as if like they were going to a conference or something. You know, they're like, "Oh, we'll see you guys tomorrow night," and it was as if it was like this sort of religious experience, and 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 people just sort of got caught up. the The adoration was uh, was contagious. It was palpable. It, even uh, I noticed my darling wife whenever little Mark Owen would walk past on the stage, she would she would Mark, Mark, <laughs> Mark. When Gary Barlow would walk past the barrier, where's Laura going? Gary! Gary! Get out of my way, you cow! Gary! He got overtaken by it. But it was this, it was, it was a unique setting. It was a setting where people could have like this, this group experience. And you know, I've seen Take That on the television a bunch of times. I've seen, heard them on the radio a million times. Uh, I've listened to the CDs uh, in the car with Laura, or not on my own, uh, lots, <laughs> lots and lots of times. But it's not the same as when you're there. Yeah. It's a different thing. It's, it's a completely, the, the impact that it has upon you, the, the amount you get caught up in it, it's, it's a different thing. It was being there and... and to have that experience, you have to be in the same place as take that. Well, to bring this back to some form of some, some kind of a message here. You know, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to experience the presence of God, you had to be in the place that he was. And, and in the Old Testament, you know, the, the presence of God was, was confined to, to, to the temple and to the tabernacle and to the altar. And, and depending on what level of hierarchy you held in the Jewish church, then, then, then you were able to sort of have some level of experience of that presence. You had to go to where the presence was. You had to go to experience. You could be taught about it. You could learn about it. But to experience the presence of God, you had to go to the physical location at which he was. And 
That kind of changed when, when uh, there was a prophecy in Isaiah, Isaiah 11, where there's a prophecy of Jesus and the Spirit of God. It says in verse 10, his resting place will be glorious. His resting place, which is sort of the culmination of, of all the, 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 the verses around it, which, which are talking about the, the New Testament church. It's the New Testament church. It's, it's this, trans, this translation from his presence residing in a location to it being carried by a body. Wow. Whereas, whereas before, the people had to come to the location. But in the New Testament, the people take the presence and go out to the people. It's like it just gets, it gets moved outwards. Instead of it being this physical place that you had to attend, it becomes a part of your being. It comes within you and you carry it with you. We've been looking at, uh, in this series, we've been kind of coming back, much like a chorus, I think, uh, to, to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, which is that key verse that we are, we are, we are going back to, we're, we're finding inspiration from for this whole series. And so I want to read to you uh, Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see, when we place our trust, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. That's, that's what happens when, we, when we, we give our lives, we ask God and we, when we trust him, when we put our faith upon the name of Jesus, we become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. I have two verses for you here. In John 14, 14 verse 16, the Father will give, give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. 2 Corinthians 1.22 He has given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He's given him as a guarantee. This is, he, God, has, has given us the Spirit as his pledge of the believer's inheritance. It's a pledge. It's, it's, it's a pledge. It's, it's guaranteeing the fulfillment of his promise. His promise of liberty, his promise of freedom, his promise of eternal life. And, and the Spirit stands as that pledge, the step stands as that guarantee that he is with us always. That this is not just something that comes and something that goes, but he is with us forever. Guarantee of the fulfillment of that promise. And that, that guarantee, like with all guarantees, the guarantee, the responsibility of the... the God holds that guarantee. The guarantee is in him. Yeah. But at the same time, there are responsibilities upon us to uh, fulfill the fullness of that guarantee upon our life. It, it, it's the guarantee. The guarantee is for liberty and for freedom. But it finds fulfillment when we relinquish our grip upon our carnal nature. Mm-hmm. When we submit our life in pursuit of the spirit Instead of the material. When we, when we reprioritize our life. 
we put the pursuit of the spirit, the spirit of righteousness, the spirit of God, the pursuit of understanding him in, in, instead of all of the other things that, that seem to find a way to the top of our priorities list. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? Spirit dwells in us and it says that we are the temple. Whereas before there was the temple of Solomon, we are now the temple. And, and the, to be a temple, temp, to be referred to, you are the temple. Like that's, you know, that's quite a grand thing. You know, say, my body's a temple, says Chas to the mirror every morning. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds quite grand, right? It sounds a little bit sort of unrelatable. Let me just break it down a little bit so that it's just a little bit more relatable to all of us. It's a place where we have connection, a place of conversation with God. You know, if you're going to meet your friend, then you will go to a coffee shop. If you want to have an interaction with a colleague, then you attend the office. If you want to maintain relationship with your family, you have that in the home. And, 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 and it's, the temple is the setting where we have that connection with the Spirit. So that, that connection comes from that place. And, and it used to be that it was accessed, that connection could only be accessed from that temple, from that, from that physical location. But when Jesus came and through faith that that spirit came into us, we became the temple. You are now the setting. You are now the host. You carry that within you. But for all believers, I would guess there have been times where you have felt as if maybe you couldn't feel that presence anymore. Maybe you felt a little vacant. Uh, You feel, you know, that that time where that sort of that unction just sort of diminishes a little bit. That that, that enthusiasm is just quenched. You know, the the times in our lives where where that pursuit is not as hot as it once might have been. It's just those times where we feel a little dull, a little cold, a, a little unresponsive. And there's just, it seems as if he isn't there. But at the back of our mind, there's like this little ringing, ring, 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 ring of truth. Yeah. And, it, and it lets us know that, that God, the Bible teaches us that God doesn't go on holiday. He doesn't have little naps. He doesn't nip out. He doesn't, he isn't irresponsible. He, he is the one that's ever present. Yeah. He is the one who's always there. And so the challenge that I pose is... Have we ever considered the possibility that it's us that's vacant? Now that immediately kind of doesn't make any sense. Because we're the host after all. We're the setting. We're the hostess with the mostess. (laughs) How how can we be the ones missing? It's us. But I I searched God upon this. Because I felt this was such an important important challenge that, that all of us sort of wrestle with at times. And I just felt like God was... God spoke and said, you know what, the spirit, our spirit, there are times where it just gets repressed, mm-hmm. where it just draws back. It was as if he was saying the spirit becomes muted. The spirit becomes muted, becomes silenced. Now, under the surface, there's still 
activity. We still have fears and hopes. We have joy. We have turmoil. We have struggles. All of that stuff still goes on on the inside, just beneath the surface. Yet our expression is inhibited. Do you know what I mean? Just inhibited, just held back, where we fail to engage with the Spirit and fail to engage with His presence. And, and what happens then is like we bring silence. And silence propagates silence. Silence returns silence. Turn the temple into like an empty cavern. It's just, there's, there's nothing. I'll give you an example. Uh, Quite, just in the last sort of this, I guess this year, my my gran uh, has, uh, who's my only sort of remaining grandparent, is uh, made the transition into uh, a, a residency, uh, an old folks home, and you know I think it was not a decision she took very lightly. I, she very independent, very sort of uh, strong-willed, and, and she just didn't want to give up what she perceived as that, that sort of independence upon her life. But, you know, over the last years or two, she's had a couple of operations, uh, you know, one or two just little accidents. And, and I think she just kind of got to that place in herself where she recognized that, that she really needed to be in a place where, where she could have that support. And so, you know, it was a decision that took a while, but, but it's, I think everyone, the family's been quite relieved that it's a decision that she was sort of able to make herself. And so she's just sort of been transitioning to that. It's really close to her house, and so her friends are all sort of nearby. It's really funny. She'd be like, oh, no, it's all right. My friends will look after me. It's like, your friends are all, like, ancient as well. You know, like, they might not be able to help you. And so, so she's moved into this place, and her house that uh, she shared with my grandfather, who, who died about uh, nearly 20 years ago. But they had this house, and it's just the accumulation of two lives. You know, there's so much stuff. And, uh, and not, I mean, not that it was like sort of, she wasn't a hoarder or anything, but just you accumulate stuff over your lives, right? I mean, even you guys who've been in a flat for one year, when you come to move out of it, you won't believe how much stuff there is. It's like you just have like bin bags full of papers and freebies that you got that you're like, oh, yeah, this will be excellent. I need a, I need a multicolored pen. Uh, <laughs> and you just, and, and imagine that over like, you know, an entire lifetime. And so... Um, most of the stuff will probably end up going to uh, going to charity, but but obviously they they opened up to the family to take whatever they want. We haven't got a, a massive family. I think they've she only had three children, and, and there's only and, and sort of six uh, grandchildren. So there's not like a lot of us. So it was it, it's fair, it could be a fairly orderly manner in terms of people sort of asking for things. And so uh, this week, Laura and I received uh, an email uh, which had a list. It was 12 pages of all the stuff that was uh, kind of you know, if you wanted. And, and some of the stuff had names and ticks beside it uh, that had been claimed. My, my brother, who's just moved into a house, he has lots of rooms that he wants to fill, so, you know, he's claiming lots of stuff. And, you know, people, you know, little mementos, like a picture or a foot stand or just something that really sort of just encapsulates their memory of my gran and uh, just, 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 just a memento, really. And Laura looked at this and she said, because she could see the names had already been ticked off, and she's like, James, did nobody ask you if if you wanted any of this stuff. Did nobody invite you to go down and have a look at this stuff? And I, I just said, well, yeah, ages ago. And recently, I just, I just never got back to them. I was just un, I was unresponsive. And, and, you know, I think sometimes our minds have that same conversation with our spirit. Yeah. You know, like, they, 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 look at, they look and say, that person over there, they're... They, they're, they're emotional turmoil has just been they've just been released from it and yet 
We're like struggling with unforgiveness and, and, and engulfed with bitterness. And the, and the Spirit's like, yeah, I'm, I just never brought it before the throne. They look at people and say, that person there, God is blessing that person's business and they're prospering. Yet we are sinking in an ocean of debt. Why is that? I'm just never, I never brought it, I never pressed into God. That person there, they're always fit and healthy. They just have such vitality. And yet, and yet here I am and I'm, and I'm just sort of weighed down with infirmity. Yeah, I, I just never approached the cross. It's like there's, there's something where we just, we fail to engage with the, the spirit and just it, it propagates that silence. And, and the mind is like, this doesn't make any sense. How can this be? Does God love them more than me? And the spirit just almost mournfully is like, I, I just never asked. I just never, I just never approached the throne. I just never came to God. I never bore my soul. It says, it says in Joel 2.32, in the message version, it says, whoever calls help God gets help. Whoever calls help God gets help. <laughs> Pretty good, right? Whoever calls help gets help. But we stay silent. We just stay silent. We're muted. And his spirit whom dwells within us, it is sort of there's no engagement, there's no communication, there's no communication, uh, there's no connection. Instead, what we often do, this is the alternative route that we often take, is we just tackle those challenges ourselves. Yeah. Or we just get our hands dirty, we just get in there. I uh, recently, uh, one of our drains where all the taps go into, so they call the bath water and taps from the uh, sinks that that uh, drain got blocked and it got blocked for a little while and and Laura said you know we should, we should get someone to come out and unblock it and I was like and then you know how some guys are just whenever they see a problem they'll just go and deal with it I'm not really one of those sorts of guys I'm the sort of guy that I need to be in the mood for it <laughs> <laughs> and it will often be sort of at the most inappropriate moments <laughs> So it's like on Wednesday, uh, or it was a couple of weeks ago, but uh, it was a Wednesday, and I brought back the kids from school, and, and Lily said, oh, can we, go in, uh, can we go to the park? And I'm like, yeah, no problem, let's go to the park. And Laura had to go somewhere at about sort of four, four or five o'clock, and I got into the back garden, and I started getting something, and I was like, oh. It was like the moment hit me, the mood hit me. <laughs> and I said, oh, this will just take a minute. I'll just fix this in a minute, no problem. So I got like my trowel out and digging out bits and pieces. Oh, there's some mud there. Maybe that's fixed it. Laura, you mustn't use the taps. Do not use the taps. It'll only take a minute. And I started, uh, I rigged up all sorts of contraptions to, to get all the water out of the drain. It was like, really deep, and, but I couldn't do it. And so I ended up with like just in a pair of shorts only and, uh, <laughs> with my arm like down this drain. And, and Laura's like, James, put on some gloves. I'm like, it's up to my elbow. It's up to my armpit. Gloves won't do anything. Sometimes a man's got to put his hand down into the dirt. <laughs> and 
I kind of did all that stuff. It was gross. It was like this stagnant warm water, and, which is, you know, a really bad place to put your limbs. Uh, <laughs> and after, like, hours with Lily going, Dad, are we not going to the park? Hey, just a minute, just a minute. And Laura's like, I've got to go, I've got to go. I completely wasted all of the time. I was like, all right, I'll squirt down the, de- the, the sort of the declogger, the unblocker. Maybe it'll work. And it totally didn't work at all. And wasted like an entire afternoon. And I called up one of these drain companies and said, I'm, to my eternal shame, I, I uttered the words, look, I'm not the sort of person who likes to tell people their job, <laughs> but I'd suggest it just needs a fire with a high-pressure hose. That, that's just my opinion on it. Uh, I have been down there myself. You know, I've had a feel around. <laughs> the guy's like, okay, no problem. We'll, we'll take a look. And uh, I was at work, and Laura called me up, and she said, oh, they've arrived. And then five minutes later, she called me, right, that's them left. <laughs> and I was like, what? I was like, oh, wow, they fixed it already? He said, yeah, he uh, looked down it, and, he's, and uh, he got out this sort of uh, gripper contraption thing and pulled out one of the kids' plastic cups that they'd thrown down there. <laughs> Didn't need any high-pressure hose or anything like that. <laughs> you know what? We... We go through all these stresses and hardships, trying to unblock the drains of our lives. The Spirit watches on, wondering, why, why did everyone ask me? And our, and our conversations with God, when they do, when they happen, because I'm not saying that we don't pray and we don't have conversations, but sometimes I feel as if they don't extend, particularly upon the topics of our lives that have struggles, they don't extend beyond just requests and prompts. Much like I, I spoke on the phone, oh, I think this is what you need to do. And similarly, we, we approach God and say, God, I just, I just think it needs a squirt of grace. <laughs> just a little squirt of grace. <laughs> just get the thing moving again. Just get my life back in order. Get it moving as it should be. Just a little squirt of grace. Like it's a lubricant or something. Yeah. You know? Trusting God is not... It's not, it's not trusting with a list of things to do. Yeah. Trusting God is... Is having the faith that he understands our struggles and knows how to resolve them. That's that's what faith is. It's so easy to tell God what to do. That's That's not how a relationship works. The fulfillment we realize in our relationship with God, it's entirely bound up with how we view the tone of our interactions. All about the tone. Why is the silence deafening? Why is our spirit muted? I think it's often because we don't appreciate the significance of the temple. We can all appreciate the notion that that, that, that the temple is a place where we can come in and have relationship with God, where we can have uh, that connection. But we're not, we're not coming to God. He's not our peer. He's not our equal. We're coming before the throne. We're coming into the presence of Almighty God. That's a different thing. I said earlier, I, I used the example of, I used the uh, comparison of like a coffee shop or the home or the, the office. But that was me slightly misleading you. That's not true at all. This is the temple. We're not going to see a peer. We're not going to see an equal. 
we are going to spend time in the presence of Almighty God. I want to read to you just, a, just an example, just something I really feel encapsulates this. It's, a, uh, it's from Luke 17, uh, verse 11. It's Jesus. He says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Just a little, little bit of background. When you had leprosy back in these times, you were essentially exiled from the, you were excommunicated from whatever community you were a part of because you know, they, didn't want, they didn't want the infection to spread and, and you just weren't allowed within. But if you, if you were healed or, or you wanted, you believed you were healed, you would go and you would present yourselves to the priests and the priests would, would ascertain, they would make the decision on whether you were cleansed or whether you weren't. And so you look at this story and the Interestingly, the Bible doesn't record how far these lepers or former lepers had to travel. It doesn't say what the distance was. But I wonder, did they not return? Did the other nine not return because it just seemed a bit too far? Had they got three quarters of the way there and they just wanted to cash in their miracle? They, they wanted to reap the benefits of that healing that they could now be a part of the community. Were they, were they halfway there and it just seemed a little bit too far to go back? Was it just that Jesus was now on the horizon and they couldn't, it, just, it just seemed like they just wanted to keep going? But one returned. And the truth is that we form habits very subtly in our lives. And, and ingratitude, or, or, or maybe another way of putting it, taking for granted, is just so subversive. It, just, it happens so easily. If you think about your life, Hey, look, if you came to God and, and you were missing an appendage and you said, God, please, I, I just want my clothes to fit a bit better. I, I just think it would be much easier for my juggling career if I got another arm. Uh, you know, even if that took years, when that happened, you'd be like, hey, thank you, God, that's amazing. What about when you pray to God for a parking space? What happens if it takes five minutes before you get a parking space? Is that God? Is that just a parking space? How, how, what's the, what's the length, what's that time that it takes for us to return? How far towards the priest do we have to travel before the idea of coming back and showing praise and glory to God? It's an interesting thought. I, I think that, that you, we, all things in humanity kind of slide the wrong way. And I think the more that we allow that, we, we permit that in our life, the shorter and shorter that distance becomes. The shorter and shorter it becomes before, essentially, praise is never forthcoming. And I think it's somewhere in the middle distance that we stop believing that we're seeing any breakthrough. It's somewhere in that middle distance, somewhere where we've allowed it to slide, that it just seems silent. We just feel muted. And the reality is this, it's probably not that God isn't breaking through in your life. It's just that we've now become so out of sync with the Spirit 
that we just don't recognize it as breakthrough anymore. But God, I told you I need this. But son, that wouldn't have solved your problem. We come to God with the solution. God, I need you to do this. Instead of God, please rescue me. God, you know the way out of this maze that I found myself into. It's interesting to note that the one that returned with the Samaritan, the person who was despised by the Jews, a foreigner, I wonder, did he return? Because when he realized that he was healed, and by a God that he had no familiarity with whatsoever, he, it, was such, it hit such a profound note within him that he raced all the way back to just throw himself at the mercy of God. I wonder if the other nine didn't. Because familiarity breeds contempt. And that was the healing they were entitled to from their God. They were all healed. All physically healed because they all had faith. They all went. But there was a difference. Jesus' final word to the grateful Samaritan implied that that he didn't just receive a physical healing, but he received a spiritual healing. Spiritual healing. The man's return to praise Jesus gave him spiritual wholeness. Spiritual wholeness. Be well. All be well. In addition to the physical wholeness he had. Now, the thing about physical wholeness, hey, physical wholeness is great. When God comes through in your circumstances, that is amazing. Yeah. When you are healed, particularly if it's something you've suffered with. Maybe you've suffered with it for a long time and you have that release and you're able to leave a little bit more of what you class as a normal life. Hey, that's brilliant. But physical wholeness is temporary. Circumstances change. Bodies deteriorate. A physical healing, a physical wholeness is temporary. Spiritual wholeness, on the other hand. Well, that... That endures forever. That endures for eternity. To to understand the rhythms of God's nature. To, to To be able to substitute the inconsistencies of our emotional state for peace, for joy, for self control, for patience, that are not waving around in the wind, but are the foundations on which we build our life. Spiritual wholeness is what takes us to a place where the struggles of our lives are dwarfed. By the enormity of God. The mystery parts. And we see our life with clarity. We see truth with clarity. That's the difference with spiritual wholeness. And only the Samaritan received that. When we take time to acknowledge the giver. And not just the gift. We please God. We bring joy to his heart. And we receive that, that physical, that we receive that spiritual wholeness, that spiritual release that comes only from worship. Yeah. My last verse, John 4, 23 to 24. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
The temple is our, it's our avenue to connection with his presence. It's, it's a combination of relationship and recognition of who he is in equal measures. In equal measures of relationship and of recognition. We lift his name up. See, a temple, a temple becomes a place of dishonor when it's devoid of worship. When there's no worship, how can we call it a temple? We ask God for help, but but he's not our slave. He's God Almighty. Worship sets the tone of our request. It recalibrates us. It, it establishes that tone. It, 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 it's the humility by which we approach the throne. It's the place where we come before him and understanding our relationship with him. Not telling, but coming before him. Not always needing to receive, but willing to give. The leper who returned to worship at the feet of Jesus received something that endured beyond the repair of his physical circumstances. The temple is the setting where we balance the, that vulnerable, that intimacy of a relationship, of a close relationship with the worship of our magnificent king. How can we stay muted? How can our spirits stay silent when we, get, when we see that glimmer of his glory see that shimmer of his greatness that just ignites the grand orchestra that sits within our soul the soul of our being rises up our muteness is not overcome by stirring up our need but by stirring up our thanks thanks for listening if you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact or service times, then don't forget to visit our website www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.